The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week, and it's a pleasure to talk to our guest this week as well. He is the founder and CEO of Super Hi-Fi, an audio innovation platform that uses AI to allow music services to transform the gaps between songs on digital platforms into relevant and personalized content with smoother transitions. This month, Super Hi-Fi was the winner of the 2020 Mitem Lab competition for music tech startups in the music distribution and discovery category. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.superhifi.com. We are happy to welcome our guest, Zach Zallen, onto the Break the Business podcast. Hi, Zach. Hey, Ryan. How are you? I am so excited to hear from you. I am, I'm such a sucker for uh, music technology and really the players in this space that maybe kind of act behind the scenes to create a more interesting and powerful experience for listeners. And so I'm excited to talk to you. Let me just ask sort of the uh, the overall question about the platform. What does Super Hi-Fi do exactly? And so, I mean, if I'm listening to songs on a streaming service, what is Super Hi-Fi doing between those songs? So maybe it would make more sense to kind of back up a little bit and talk about why we created Super Hi-Fi in the first place. And I think that'll help answer the question as to what it actually does. Oh, yeah. So we, my business partner and I have been working together for almost 20 years, and we've built a lot of digital music services in the past. We were actually the executive team that ran Richard Branson's uh, platform, music entertainment platform globally called Virgin Digital. When we started our own agency, you know, a decade or so ago, we built platforms like CBS Radio's consumer platform, AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast back when those were brands that really mattered. Um, one of the first subscription music services in the States called Move Music for Cricket Wireless, which had some number of millions of consumers, lower income consumers, um, that we were really proud to, to serve and uh, really proud to have developed and designed that. So we've been doing a lot of digital music for a really long time. One of the things that really struck us about the space as it started to really grow, as Spotify started to make, try, to get some real traction and kind of prove out a business model, one of the things that frustrated us was that when you closed your eyes, you couldn't really tell which music service you were listening to. You were only really listening to the artists that they were streaming. And by the way, this was not just for Spotify. These were for the services that we were designing too. Uh, we recognize that they just don't have a lot of differentiation unless you're looking at the screen and the logo that's on the top left of the application. But most people don't actually look at their music, right? They listen to it while they're doing something else. And we wanted to do something about that. Uh, we were very influenced by radio. And I think our aha moment happened when we realized that radio, broadcast radio companies, forgetting about the technology that they deliver through, right? Think about the experience that they deliver. Broadcast radio companies have the same challenges that streaming music companies have. On the dial, they're separated by very little, in, right? It's just a different click, a different, um, a different number that they happen to live at. On the just like streaming music services do, but they've been able to differentiate eat themselves from each other by taking the space between the songs and filling it. 
either with beautiful sounding transitions between the songs or with personalized content like human beings that are actually talking, DJs that are bringing things to life or artist interviews or news segments or even advertising, which, you know, you may not love the advertising on terrestrial radio, but at least it's presented in a way that sounds like it's part of an overall listening experience. And when you listen to a radio station, there's no question, you know who you're listening to and it creates a really competitive environment where some radio companies can do much better than other radio companies based exclusively on the production qualities and the stuff that they put between the songs. The streaming music services don't have any of that. And so again, back to our aha moment, we realized that if we were able to help fuel that same kind of experience for streaming music services, to take the space between the songs and activate it, we might be able to help streaming music, music services to create differentiation and brand awareness and brand loyalty in a way that they're not doing today. But to do that on air is easy. You have one DJ, you have some number of content production elements that they've chosen. You have a whole bunch of people that are listening at the same time. And that one DJ, that one on-air DJ can actually make those choices in real time based on the mixing console that they're using. On streaming media services, it's quite different. It's much more difficult because these are experiences that are happening uniquely for each listener. And so you can't do it with human beings. You have to do it with something else. You have to do it at scale. And so what we started to develop was an artificial intelligence that had the same capabilities as a human DJ, but was designed to do it at web scale, was designed to do it for these platforms at hundreds of millions or billions of these moments per month in a way that still sounds really artful, still sounds perfectly produced. And so that this very long-winded, very, very roundabout way of answering your question. Super Hi-Fi is that artificial intelligence. It's the tools that help to power those moments between the songs to bring these experiences to life in real time so that listeners can get more engaged, have more brand loyalty to the service of choice, and that so those brands can actually differentiate themselves from one another. That makes sense. It it does, and it's really exciting. It, it's interesting to see how sort of, you know, in a lot of ways, technology is a straight arrow moving forward. But in a lot of way, it can be cyclical. And you know, what you're developing with Super Hi-Fi often borrows from what we saw in the past with terrestrial radio, which I find endlessly fascinating. But to help us to help elucidate this a little bit more for the listeners, can you just give us an example of what a Super Hi-Fi? Uh, gap between two songs might look like uh, uh, on a streaming service? I, I can give you very specific examples. So, you, you know, I'm going to just talking about radio for a moment again. You know, there are different kinds of radio services. There's a, as many radio stations as there are, there are different approaches to radio. Some are really commercial, some have rock music, some have country music, some like NPR really bring, especially NPR music stations, really bring a local view to life and love to have those artists that are, you know, independent and other artists that are local actually on the air describing what their experiences are like creating a song and bringing a listening experience to life in a very different way. We focus on doing the same things, but to do it algorithmically. So an excellent example of that would be one of the music services that recently launched and that uses our technology is Sonos Radio. Sonos Radio is Sonos's new integrated music listening platform, right? You buy a Sonos speaker, you fire it up, and Sonos Radio is in there with 34 really well-crafted stations that they program themselves with their, their music musicologists and their team, their brand team internally. 
And they use Super Hi-Fi to make all of those real-time algorithmic decisions about how to stitch the songs together so there are no wild gaps and how to put, put together a listening experience that's really distinctive. So where without Super Hi-Fi, you might have a five-second gap between two songs. In a, in a Sonos radio stream, you might have a song end and then smoothly blend into a station ID that's actually voiced by somebody that Sonos brought in to actually do all of the, the IDs, the liners. That might weave itself into a sonic logo that's a, an audio identifier of Sonos specifically. The, in this case, they had Philip Glass, the contemporary classical composer, actually write and record their sonic logo for them. And then that might move into a trivia factoid about an artist or an album or a song that takes 20 seconds to actually talk about. It. And then the song actually starts halfway through. And then by the time the voiceover artist is actually talking about what song that is, then the song actually starts playing. And the whole thing feels really different. It feels very personal. And it brings different experiences to life that without which you'd basically just have a playlist of songs with lots of gaps in between. But with all of these things woven together so artfully, what you end up with is what we call a tapestry of a listening experience that we think pulls people through and actually connects them to their brand of choice because you actually know what you're listening to. It's not just some blank music playlist that's delivered to you by some service that might be Spotify, might be Apple, might be Pandora. If you're listening without looking, it doesn't really matter at that point. We think that we could do a lot better. And so that, that Sonos radio experience is a really good example, I think. I really dig that. It's a, an AI-powered radio air break in between two songs. It, uh, you, that's that can be personalized. That can be, uh, you know, customizable for different platforms and services. Whether it's Sonos or I think you also work with Peloton, right? We do. We work with Sonos. We we work with Peloton there. With Peloton, you know, they're doing all this stuff live, and they're choosing all of their music. Their 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 uh, instructors, spinning instructors, are actually pretty amazing. Um, because they're they're as incredible at selecting music experiences as they are at creating really integrated fitness experience, social fitness experiences. In a weird way, we almost look at Peloton as a music service with a bike attached because they're that good. <laughs> but you know, it's it certainly wouldn't be a great listening experience or writing experience if you're listening to a high energy song and then there's like six seconds of dead air in between. And Peloton can't just use a standard crossfade because crossfades don't know anything about the music underneath it, and it might really ruin the energy. So they use our technology to help to fuel the transitions between songs in a way that respects the underlying experience and understands that the result that the instructors are attempting to give is one that carries the energy through from the moment that you start your ride to the moment that it's over. And so, yeah, that's another example of how they use Super Hi-Fi in a very different way than Sonos or in a very different way than iHeart, who also uses our platform across all of their digital listening experiences. That's really cool concept. I encourage our listeners to check it out at superhifi.com. And, and Zach, one of the other reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because I would imagine that you have a considerable amount of perspective on just streaming services and their place in the music industry. And certainly in the last few years, Independent musicians, like the ones listening to this show, have just had to be ex- you know, exposed to the new normal of their industry, which is that streaming services, for better or for worse, are here to stay. It is the way in which people will primarily consume recorded music. 
And this is something that artists are just have to adjust to and uh, direct their uh, careers to accordingly. So I think a lot of our listeners out there are particularly interested in where streaming is heading, maybe what what some of the next uh, great innovations are, and particularly how those innovations and those those forward that forward motion might affect musicians. Uh, do you do you have any thoughts on that? I imagine you're probably something of a streaming services futurist. Uh, I do have a lot of thoughts on that. For, for starters, what I just want to share is the dirty secret of the streaming music space and how that potentially affects independent artists specifically. So I think most streaming music services are very proud of the fact that they have such an incredibly deep and wide array of music available, right? They talk oftentimes about how they'll have 51 million tracks of content in their catalog. The dirty secret part is that these services could probably do 99% of the same amount of streaming that they currently do with only about half a million tracks. And the reason for that is that what most consumers end up doing is they basically gravitate towards the things that they know and they stay there, right? Chart-topping hit music is still number one. Right. And and so no matter how deep a catalog you have, it's actually very rare that people, that consumers dig that deep. They don't know what to look for. Most consumers, that is, right? There's some really intensive music fans that are definitely out for self-discovery experiences and they're like out there, right, combing through the racks of albums, so to speak, metaphorically speaking. And and they're gonna find some really cool stuff. But most music consumers don't do that. And so what you end up with is this very narrow band of content that's consumed on a regular basis. There are some streaming services that do a better job of what we call lean back listening, playlisting, auto generation of experiences, things like that. That's much more interesting because that type of experience is where you can start introducing listeners to content that they would not have ordinarily actually started looking for by themselves. Right. So if you give somebody a search tool, they're going to find themselves in a very narrow band of available content because most consumers can't think of more than 20 bands to actually search for. If you give them lean back tools where the key is to press play and allow the service to actually do the selecting for you, there's a much better opportunity to start introducing listeners to artists that they wouldn't listen, that they wouldn't normally be gravitating towards. So my first thought to answer your question directly is that the services that are focused on lean back listening over time are going to be much more valuable to a broader independent music ecosystem than those that don't have those tools. That's just kind of the first, the first piece of it. Um, The second thing I think is that the services that have more human involvement in the curation are also going to be more valuable to the independent music ecosystem. Because the the great thing about algorithms are that they can do the job so efficiently. But the bad part about the algorithms, generally speaking, is that they're not very experimental or creative, right? They're just going to grab what it notices is the most popular stuff. And it's going to continue to program that stuff because all it can do is look at weighted popularity metrics, right? And actually make decisions off of that. To break a band or to give an artist that doesn't already have popularity that opportunity requires some human intervention usually. So I think from a programming standpoint, over the long run, services that focus on lean back and have some human involvement in the curation decisions are going to be much more useful to the artist community than those that don't and that are relying exclusively on algorithms or are trying to rely almost exclusively 
on users to curate their own experiences. I'm a little surprised by that answer. I mean, it's, it's certainly an intriguing and powerful message, but I, I, I'm, I'm surprised that somebody like you who, who works with AI and, and certainly realize the potential of AI uh, with the activities that you're doing with streaming services, uh, with Super Hi-Fi, it sounds like I'm hearing a bit of skepticism on your part in the ability of AI and some of these algos in being able to create a effective lean back music discovery experience for consumers of streaming services. Am I off base there? No, I'm going to. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually answer your question. by I'm going to have it both ways. I'm going to say yes and no. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'm also going to separate out the AI that we built from algorithms that select music because they're radically different from one another. So in the, in the, in the algorithmic music selection space, those tools are actually really good at being able to create experiences that delight listeners. When it comes to what they do from an efficiency standpoint for listening, they do an amazing job. And these tools have been out there for a long time, right? The Echo Nest was around in like 2008, and they really kind of created that entire market for algorithmic music selection. It's not so good, though, at introducing people to entirely new things because those algorithms don't know what's good. Algorithms are not very good taste makers. <laughs> what they're good at doing is taking taste tastes that have been made and amplifying them. And so to the extent that it's not just about delighting listeners, but it's also about creating a richer ecosystem of content that can grow over time, they're not actually all that good. And I'm going to point back to radio again. And I do this because I think radio has been the best mechanism for artist introduction to consumers that's ever existed. And the way that, that program directors or DJs would do this over the years is they would do what's called bookending. They would take a song that everybody knows that's really popular and another song that's really popular. And in between them, they'd play a new song that nobody knows. And repetition breeds familiarity. So without that first set of repetition, nobody's going to understand that track. It's not going to be a hit at first. But you're going to use those other two songs that people are familiar with to breed familiarity with the thing that's in between. And once that song becomes popular enough, they elevate that to be one of the bookends that they can introduce new content through. And that's something that radio has done an exceptionally good job at through the years. And it makes sense. Commercially, it makes sense, too. You, you can't, especially unless you're like a classic rock station that plays within this narrow band of eight of years that stuff is released, you have to have new content or you die. Right? It's just like Netflix is today. You need new content or it gets pretty stale pretty fast. Radio has done an excellent job of that, but it's humans that made a selection that decided this is a song that I think is going to be interesting to my listeners over time and made a commitment to that. And then everybody won. The radio station won because they were tastemakers. The artist won because they got to, to get out there and become popular. And listeners won because they were continuously being brought through this experience of finding new content. Digital services that have only algorithms don't do a very good job of that. Digital services that have tastemakers inside and that really focus on that do a good job of that. And we think that lean back listening that has consumers, so that has humans associated with delivering the consumer experience are always going to be better for the ecosystem than those that don't. Wow, that's that, so does that kind of answer why that we we feel that way? It it does. I I I feel like I'm getting a lot smarter about all this stuff just by listening to you, which I very much appreciate. And I think there are a lot of indie musicians out there who feel a little lost in the wilderness, uh, trying to figure out the place that recorded music 
has uh, in their career. I think many indie musicians have sort of transitioned to this idea of their recorded music being a product in itself, which it very much was back when we all bought music at Walmart or even downloaded them on iTunes, and is becoming now, as streaming becomes more prominent, is almost becoming just a loss leader for artists, is just becoming a free commercial or advertisement for the artist that then drives those same listeners to buy the artist merchandise, go see them on tour, or to uh, go into their Patreon pages or Kickstarters or things like that. And and I'm not saying like it, that it's like that for a lot of artists. There are still some artists who can make decent money on streaming services, but for many artists, they're, they're seeing a shift there and uh, feel some deal of uncertainty about the future. So I, I'm, uh, I'm thankful that we have you here to lend us some perspective of what the future of streaming looks like. Yeah, and I think... I mean, look, the, you know, speaking back about Super Hi-Fi, one of the reasons that we created this is because we think that the experience of listening to music services should not just be nameless, faceless playlists with gaps, right? That's not entertainment. I mean, that's music listening, but it's not entertainment per se. And it's our belief that the digital streaming services at some point will start treating their listeners as customers and not just as subscribers Mm. because listeners are not nameless and faceless either. These are people that also really like entertainment experiences, but further to that, elevating the listening platform and listening experience is better for the artists too. It allows an artist to have a voice. It allows an artist to have a, a mechanism for connecting with their listeners in a way that's uniquely their own thing. I'm going to point back to the Sonos radio experience because one of the things that Sonos has been focusing on is working directly with artists. And we're so proud to be a part of that because we get to use our technology to help them power their initiatives, which is to let the artist's voice ring through. So here's a great example is they did a few weeks ago, they came out with an online station, 24 hours a day, seven day a week streaming station called the Encyclopedia of Britney. Uh, which is power, which is all about Brittany Howard from Alabama Shakes. And in addition to having her do all the curation of the content, which in and of itself is really great. That's got to be a good station. <laughs> she, it's, it's actually an amazing station. She's super talented. But she also did all of the voice liners. So, you know, some of it's simple. Like, hey, you're listening to the Encyclopedia of Brittany only on Sonos Radio. Okay, that's kind of basic. At least you know who you're listening to. But in addition... She talked from the heart about so many of the songs that she curated, why she curated them, what it means to her, or for her own content, what, why she wrote that track, or what it was like being in the recording studio when they were actually doing that song and some of the emotional experiences that she had. If you hear a song and you hear it prefaced by what it meant to her individually and independently as an artist, it's no longer just listening to the song. It's listening to the song through the context of what Brittany Howard brings to the table. It's only with those really unique multi-layered experiences or multi-layered content, I should say, that drives those experiences that you can connect consumers in that way to their service of choice. And you can connect consumers that way to the artists that they're listening to. And we think that elevating that means something ultimately to artists as well as services. And we are focused solely on that. We believe ultimately when that happens, and we do believe that it is happening now and will happen, this is what defines the future of digital streaming services. But when that really does happen, artists benefit from it as well. 
I'd be lying if I said I wasn't intrigued, not just by the prospect of Super Hi-Fi being a tool to empower streaming services, but also to potentially empower artists. You can find out more about the platform by visiting www.superhifi.com, which was, as we said before, the winner of the 2020 Mitem Lab competition for music tech startups. Our guest this week is Zach Zallen, who's been awesome, and we've all become much smarter from listening to him this week. Let me ask you this last question, Zach, before we let you go. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Uh, yeah. So I'll say that my, my experience working directly in the artist community uh, is, is, is for me at least capped off by the years that I ran the Troubadour back in the early 1990s. We booked probably a thousand bands at the time. And I think that the experience of being an artist today is the same as it was then. It's just that the platforms have all changed. The biggest difference is that because the because there's so there's so much opportunity to create music and so much opportunity to consume music today, and that it is all available at your fingertips on the streaming music services. Artists are forced more today to be CEOs of their brand than they ever were before. And I think that to, to really succeed as an independent artist, unless, you know, unless you get signed and, and you know, you get really fortunate, things just kind of pop, is you, you, have to, you have to manage your career as though you are that CEO and not just that you're that artist. And by the way, I think that's very difficult to do, right? The, the whole act, the whole thing of being an artist is, is to actually create art. And that's a very different mindset, different part of the brain than it is to think really strategically about how you can position yourself most powerfully and successfully through streaming music services or on tour or how you can create merchandise or how you can create a Patreon page and all these other things and work it really hard. But it's just the way that it is. I think that my advice would be to look at yourself as a CEO and to look at the artist part of your existence as something very different. You're gonna to have to figure out how to kind of segment that off in a way and still to create the music that you really believe in and that best represents you, that's most authentic, but also then to lean in and figure out how to be a really good CEO, how to become a great marketer, how to become a great relationship manager with your fans. I don't, I mean, I really empathize with the, the plight of today's artists, but in reality, for those artists that are willing to step up, and take control of their own career and their own brand in that way, I think uh, they have an opportunity to really succeed. And there are so many more platforms today than there ever have been before. And I think artists have a really huge opportunity. I'm going to share the one thing that may sound like it's a little off the track of the question you asked, but I really do believe this strongly. There's been a lot of brand work done over the years on why consumers connect to certain brands over other brands. At when, when we left Virgin, our agency built a lot of digital music services, but we also grew by building a lot of other services for big companies. So we built sports platforms for the Knicks and the Rangers in Madison Square Garden. We built financial consumer platforms for Citibank and Experian. We built Johnson & Johnson's global digital diabetes platform management um, service, and we built all of National Geographic's mobile apps. And what you do is learning from companies like Johnson & Johnson and Nat Geo you learn a lot about brands. And one of the things that we learned is that there are certain brands that connect much more deeply, much more emotionally with consumers than others. You know, Harley Davidson may be suffering as a company right now, but they're still a company that gets their consumers to tattoo their brand on their arms. Yeah. That kind of loyalty is remarkable. 
And when you look at the science of branding, which we did, we learned as we went through this, we certainly weren't brand experts when we started our agency, but we kind of learned through the years. You find that there are a couple of characteristics that drive that kind of loyalty and that kind of emotional connection, the kinds that a Johnson and Johnson or a Nat Geo has with their customers. And there are a couple of rules that exist inside of all of that branding. And those rules are pretty easily just the following two things. One is you have to stand for something, right? You're, you have to live your values and your values have to be something that you're able to talk about that people understand. And you have to be different. There has to be something that differentiates your brand from other brands. Otherwise, why would anybody use you? I think in the world of Harley Davidson, it's a pretty, pretty easy one. I think most people, even if they're not motorcycle enthusiasts, could understand what what the brand is, right? Their, their motorcycles are twice as heavy, as an example, as most of the competitive motorcycles from a Honda or a BMW. But they don't change it because that's part of actually what makes them unique. It's part of what they stand for, right? That, that iron that's on the road, the lifestyle that they stand for. And so they would never make that kind of change to their motorcycles because it might get twice as good gas mileage and be twice as easy to handle on the road, but it wouldn't be a Harley anymore. I'm actually going to point that back now to digital music stream streaming services. If you close your eyes and, and you can't tell the difference between Spotify or Apple Music because there's nothing that distinguishes them audibly from one another, it's very hard to think how ultimately they're going to build a sustainable emotional brand where what they stand for or what differentiates them is identifiable to their consumers. They don't have that yet. And this goes right back to your question. It's the same thing for an independent artist. If you're the CEO of your own artist brand, you also have to think about what it is that you're doing as an artist. In order to really have a brand that your, your customers, your listeners, your fans can emotionally connect to in a durable way, you have to be able to stand for something specific and you have to be able to figure out how to be different. If you're not, it's going to be extremely hard to stand out in a universe of artists that have access to creation tools now that allow millions and millions and millions of songs to be released a year and for, for, to have hundreds of millions of listeners that are out there, all of whom are being fought for um, very aggressively by artists that are, quote unquote, your competition. And so I guess... You know, to answer your, I know this is a much more detailed way of answering than you probably were asking for, but I think in order to really succeed as an independent artist, so that's my answer. You have to, A, you have to be CEO of your own brand, and, and B, you have to understand that a brand isn't your logo and it isn't your band name. Your brand is what you stand for and what makes you different. And I would strongly recommend taking the time to sit back and ask yourself, what do you stand for? What does make you different? And lean in on those characteristics because that's actually what connects your fans to your music. It's those qualities that allow your brand to actually come to life in a way that drives tremendous loyalty and will allow you to stand out in a universe of ever-expanding artist content. And I think that those bands that figure that stuff out are going to be the ones that ultimately succeed. All of that's such a home run. And I think any artist should aspire to getting the sort of brand 
identification and loyalty of a company like a Harley Davidson. That would definitely uh, help them move their careers forward. Tremendous insight. I'm glad that you shared every bit of that with us. It's it's a, definitely a home run. Again, you can find out more about our guests' work by visiting superhifi.com. Zach, it has been a pleasure speaking with you this week. Thank you very much for your time. Ryan, I really appreciate the opportunity to have been with you today. Right on. And thank you all listeners for listening to the Break the Business podcast. 